Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, the U.S. Women's National Team. They are in action for the first time in 2023. Referee announcements, HBO Max, U.S. Men's National Team roster drop, the LA Galaxy, Joseph Martinez, Inside Man, Euro Roundup, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Wednesday, January 18th in the year 2023, our second recording of the week? I am doing well. I'm glad you showed up at the proper time today. I was told that for last Wednesday's pod, you got mixed up and showed up eight hours before the taping. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we, we switched, I don't know, halfway through the year last year to twice a week. And uh, the first one we do on Mondays, and we do those in the mornings. And the Wednesday taping that we do, we do in the afternoon. And I, you know, I'm still a little fuzzy from uh, the Qatar trip. I'm not going to lie to you. And so, yeah, I showed up bright and early, as it were, to record the State of the Union podcast. Turned the corner. I did not see any of this and knew right away that something was wrong and turned my ass back around, went home, uh, had my wife laugh at me more so than usual, and then showed up later in the uh, in the day. And yeah, I didn't mention that. I don't know how that got out, though. Did uh, did I tell you that or did uh, did you find out? There's the, the eyes are everywhere. So there's snitches all over the place. Um, Mossy, you watch anything or uh, what's going on? I mentioned on Monday's pod that as soon as we were done taping, I was going to go see this uh, Argentina 1985, which I did. It was playing in a theater in Culver City. Phenomenal. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Excellent movie. It's about the trial of the generals in the Argentinian military dictatorship. Uh, Very powerful. Very well You think this is going to be up for best picture or best foreign? I mean, obviously it's going to be up for best foreign film, but you think it's going to transcend that and actually go to best picture possibly? If it is in the best picture category, it would be a strong contender for me. Definitely one of the two or three best movies. Subtitles I've seen. are dubbed or what is it? Yeah, in Spanish it's, with subtitles. Spanish with subtitles. All right. Wow. All right. So uh, that's a ringing endorsement. Oh, yeah. Two thumbs up. Ten, whatever it is. Uh, let's see what I got. I watched, um, what the hell is this thing called? Inside Man. It was a 2022 um, crime drama. Four episodes. Stars the great Stanley Tucci. And unfortunately, it is a waste of Stanley Tucci's uh, talents. He is a convicted murderer on death row who, you know, a la Hannibal Lecter, is accessed by people to help solve crimes on the outside. And it cannot decide what it wants to be, if it's funny, if it's macabre, if it's, if it's just dark humor. Uh, it's just a mess. Um, and it could have been good because I love Stanley Tucci and I think he's a wonderful actor and him in a role as a, um, as a convicted murderer on death row, even just watching him, he's the most interesting part of the whole thing. And the rest of it just kind of falls apart in just ridiculousness out there. So I, I can't recommend it, but I did, uh, but I did watch it. Anything else? You know, the Stanley Tucci CNN show taste of Italy got canceled. Did it really? Yeah. Which to be fair, they had run out of compelling regions in Italy to do. They even, they did a London episode in the last season. The show it's called Taste of Italy, right. but they explored Italian restaurants in London, which that was a bit of a jump the shark moment. Well, you know, so like like a lot of these uh, these these series, they start out and they don't realize that they you know they might have some pos- popularity. When they do, eh, sometimes it's hard. But you know, it had a, it had a good run, and uh, and like I said, he's a wonderful uh, wonderful actor. Uh, all right, ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right, let's uh, let's get right into it. And we should start with the U.S. Women's National Team. We always, as we said, we were recording here on uh, on Wednesday last. Night, if you are in the uh, in the U.S., we all, uh, or those of us that cared, uh, tuned in to watch the United States Women's National Team for the first time. They ended up pretty much crushing uh, inferior opposition that was uh, New Zealand, a game in New Zealand, and they will play New Zealand again in New Zealand uh, for this two-game stand here. And look, this is we always knew that this was an opportunity to get the lay of the land where the World Cup is going to be this summer, and that's that's all fine and well. But there are a lot of questions still out there when it comes to this U.S. women's national team as to whether they can you know, win three in a row, unprecedented, as we said. I'm not sure that the, that the, those questions were answered. They looked, um, they looked rudderless in that first half. Changes were made by Vladko Andonovsky, and then 
it just showed that the, the superior quality individually and collectively won out, uh, and they ended up scoring uh, four goals, right? Four goals, yeah. So it was, uh, at the end, it was a convincing win, but I don't think, like I said, it answers a whole lot of questions as to what this team is going to do, especially if and when they get up against much better competition that is going to frustrate them and is going to absorb pressure and, on the other side, is going to have the ability to counter in a way that New Zealand didn't. And this, by the way, also was a New Zealand team that was missing a lot of players because this is still not a blackout day and not everybody was required to be released. Mallory Swanson with two goals. Yep. Alex Morgan and Lynn Williams also on target. Rose Lavelle with a lovely assist for the... Alex Morgan goal. And that seems to be the plan. And it's not the worst plan in the world is get Rose the ball and let her do some some incredible shit. And that's really what she does. And she does it consistently. I think she's gotten even better at not panicking when she gets the ball because she has incredible... um, an incredible touch and the ability to get out of problems. And I think as she has matured as a player, she at times even invites more players and can still find a way to get out of it. She's got that flair that we that we saw. So I think going forward, she's going to be really important, especially when we talk about this team being able to break down, you know, um, an opponent that is in their own end, that is absorbing pressure, even the back heel. I know that's you know not necessarily a high percentage type of thing, but sometimes that's the guile. That's the, the creativity that you are looking for that could be the difference. And even though this was 4-0, maybe that's the one moment that Rose Lavelle does something amazing that is the difference between scoring and not scoring against uh, some of these teams. And, and again, when we are assessing the U.S. women's national team, it's relative to, let's be honest, a handful of teams that can actually give them a game. And it's relative to winning the World Cup. And so when we see this, you know, yeah, we are picky. And yeah, we are discerning. And yeah, you know, at times we can look at it and say, well, that's not necessarily that that impressive because we have a much higher uh, level of judgment when it comes to, to these women and to this team that ultimately is rel- relative to winning the World Cup. This match was in Wellington. The two teams will play again Friday in Auckland. The match aired on HBO Max. Luke Wildman and Julie Foudy on the call. Melissa Ortiz handling sideline duties. And then the studio was Sarah Walsh, Shannon Box, and Demarcus Beasley. Being the veteran broadcaster that you are, how how did you feel about the coverage? I actually, I mean, look, I'm going to let you in on a little, that's not a little secret. It probably happens in every industry. Whenever there is, you know, competition and others doing something, you know, you, you gather around and you kind of sit there with your arms folded and say, all right, what do you got? And to a certain extent, you're hate watching. And, and look, I don't hate any of these people, but it, it's just it's just a phrase. But, you know, you're looking at them and saying, all right, you know, um, you know, and you're being kind of snooty and uh, snarky in the way that you're you're looking at it. Uh, and there have been times where it's been a train wreck for a, a first show. This was absolutely not one of them. I think that they actually did a very, very good job. It was a clean show. And if you can just say that it's a clean show, when I say clean, no glaring mistakes. And I'm not saying no no show is without mistakes. But there are certainly no glaring mistakes. They got the show uh, on. They have, you know, keep in mind, since this is HBO, there's no commercial breaks. So they have the pregame, halftime, uh, and postgame, and then obviously the uh, uh, the actual game. I thought that the uh, the dynamic between the talent uh, in the studio uh, was as if they had been working together before. And this is going to be a work in progress. Uh, you know, Sarah, Sarah Walsh is a pro. And so that, that makes a difference. You know, even the timbre of her voice denotes um, a level of experience and maturity. And I think she brings a calm to the situation. So I think that is is really good. I thought the you know what's more important is you know when we're talking about the Demarcus Beasleys and the Shannon Boxes, um, you know some of them are doing television for the you know uh, early on in their careers, if you will. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was informative. I thought it was entertaining. And so for a first show, you know I give them very high marks. I thought it was good. Now I have HBO Max, so it was relatively easy didn't appear when i pulled up my hbo max it, i had to look for it but eventually i found it and was able to uh to watch it you know there's some consternation out there about being able to find it if you have it it's, it's much easier i'll be interested to see how many people actually did migrate there uh, either for one time or multiple times uh, ultimately and how many do subscribe uh going forward in order to get the men's and the women's national team because of this uh this new deal um, uh, give me your thoughts, because then I have one thing to say uh, also about, in particular, uh, DeMarcus Beasley. 
Well, the lack of commercials made the post-game, some of the transitions a little bit awkward, going yeah. from the match to the Berhalter-Reyna story and then the Pele and Grant Wall tributes. But the Berhalter-Reyna discussion has gotten a lot of attention. I don't know if that's where you're going to go, but I'm going to go there next. Yeah, go ahead. Go, start it up. Because uh, just for people that don't know, I mean, the game, you know, I thought, again, um, you know, there was, I, I guess you could, it's not, having differences of opinion isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, Julie Foudy saw the offside one way, DeMarcus Beasley saw the offside another way, and, you know, that was that was fine. I have no problem uh, problem with that. As a matter of fact, having a coordination and an understanding between the studio talent and the game talent, I think, is, is important. You know, a lot of times you'll hear me in the studio you'll reference something that Stu said or Stu did. I could agree or disagree, but just referencing them, I think that is important. And a lot of times what you'll do is you'll see people in the, in the booth, you know, a Stu or a, a John Strong, for example, reference something that was said in the studio. That happened, uh, you know, that happened last night. So all in all, I think that was, it, it was very good. But go ahead, give me your thoughts uh, on the, the way that it transitioned and then obviously the transition to the story that, that soccer and beyond still continues to be talking about. And I think they felt that this was their first time on air. And because this was a big story, it was an opportunity for them to kind of expand as opposed to making it just all about the women's national team game. This was about soccer and you know their first broadcast and live broadcast on HBO relative to soccer. Well, what was interesting was Beasley said that prior to these revelations, he was in favor of Berhalter remaining the coach but now he doesn't think he should stay. That's the opposite of you, who previously mm -hmm. didn't think he should stay because you're against coaches uh, doing multiple cycles. But you said on our last podcast that now part of you wants him to stay because you don't like the idea that the Reina's behavior will be vindicated. Uh, so what do you make of that contrast? Well, this is where it gets interesting with DeMarcus Beasley. And, and look, you know, he worked with us in, in, in the World Cup. I think he's got a future in television if that's what he wants to do. But you know, welcome to the world of television where things that you say can be interpreted one way or taken out of context. And sometimes you have to explain yourself even further after uh, after the moment. He you're, you're absolutely right in that he flipped the opposite way that that I did. But and this is just the way that I read it in the moment that I was watching. He flipped because much more so of the, uh, for lack of a better word, that TED talk that, that Greg Berhalter gave about leadership, where he, to a lot of people, um, outed, if you will, Gio Reyna and kind of, you know, using a, a term out there, threw him under the bus. And now keep in mind, he didn't mention Gio Reyna at all. And, and this was obviously meant to be private. And he has since apologized for that. But I think that was where DeMarcus was coming from when he was talking about his flip from one thing to the other. What did uh, what, what I did find curious and to a certain extent um, irked me a little bit was DeMarcus Beasley at one point said that, um, that Jay, uh, Jay Berhalter, Greg Berhalter, his, by the way, his teammate from 2002 and 2006, and that's not to say that he can't be critical of, of his teammate or anything like that, just to give you some context, um, had, quote, lost the, the locker room. And then he said, also, quote, he lost the trust of his players. Now, when you say that, okay, you're not making it seem like that is your opinion, all right? You're making it seem like you have information as to what has happened. And listen, there are plenty of things to be critical of Greg Berhalter over. There are plenty of, I think, fair and legitimate reasons to believe that he should not continue on or not to, not, not to want him to continue on. But this is the first time that I had heard or had ever heard that he had lost the locker room. OK, so this was, you know, I perked up immediately when I when I heard this. Now, we come to find out. All right. After the fact, because I obviously wasn't the only one <laughs> that said, wow, this is this is incredible TV because this is a revelation. And this is coming from a former national team player. We come to find out after because he had to clean up this mess that he made. And so therefore, it's it is problematic that he clarified it today, this was just his opinion. This was not something he had not spoken to anybody and that this was just his opinion. The problem for DeMarcus Beasley is, once again, he trains out of the station, okay? You can't put this genie back in the bottle. You said this, it went all around. And again, this is on Greg Berhalter. Now DeMarcus Beasley because they'll only see the original. Nobody will see the, <laughs> see the apology, right? Or the clarification, as it were. Now, 
it's out there that Greg Berhalter lost the locker room, according to Demarcus Beasley. So that, I mean, look, he, Demarcus is, is to, relative to others, new to this business, and we've all made mistakes at different times. But that, I think, was the biggest thing to come out of that discussion after. And then uh, Shannon Box also agreed immediately that they do, neither of them ultimately, regardless of this, don't think that Greg Berhalter should continue. Keep in mind, Demarcus Beasley and Melissa Ortiz worked with Sean Sullivan for five weeks in Qatar, <laughs> so they picked up a lot of bad habits. They're going to have to right, learn ex- now. Exactly, exactly. No, and they and like I said, they did a they did a great job. And and again, I was I was into it. I was riveted, and I was I was interested in what they were saying. And when you say something interesting, and when you say something in this case provocative, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit up. But immediately, I said, "Wow, that's nothing that I have heard." In all the time and all the different conversations that I that I have had, people have said, you know, Greg Berhalter is this and that, and how could he do this? And I can't believe this. And you know, uh, he should never be the coach or anything like that. But I'd never heard that he lost the the locker room. As a matter of fact, even from a public perspective, not that they're going to say anything necessarily different, it was always positive about the experience in totality with what happened. And again, this isn't me defending Greg Berhalter. It's just also pointing out that this, again, is now being attached to him in, a, in, in again, I feel an unfair way. And so thank you, Demarcus, for at least clearing that up. Because if it's your opinion, great, wonderful. And it could have worked as, as that on air, too, and said, in my opinion, I've been in locker rooms and stuff like that. And if I had a coach that went and did that, uh, I would I would not believe him anymore, and I would not want him to continue on. And I know other players that I played with would uh, you know would have uh, would have been bent out of shape about something like that. That's that's different than the way that he said it. And you know sometimes the red light turns on, and you you're thinking about saying something a certain way, and it comes out differently uh, from your uh, from your mouth. But anyway, all in all, I thought a really good start to the relationship and to the broadcast uh, for HBO. So congratulations to everybody involved in front of the camera uh, and behind the camera. Congratulations to the women uh, on their first win of 2023. Hopefully the first of many. Only seven games uh, before Vladko Andonovsky has to make those final decisions for the roster for the uh, World Cup. So it's going to come really, really fast. And there are still a lot of questions when it comes to this team. And one more television note, uh, U.S. Soccer did sign a Spanish-language deal with Telemundo, so we're going to have the great Andres Cantor calling U.S. national team games. They'll also be available on Peacock. Awesome. Give me another streaming service. (laughs) Moving on to the men, uh, they announced the roster today for their upcoming friendlies against Serbia and Colombia, both in Los Angeles. I know you have the lists right in front of you. What names jumped out to you? Um, And again, listen, I... I want to be excited about this camp, all right? And even in the past, the, the you know, Camp Cupcake, whatever you want to call it, I, I know it's gotten a bad rap in the past, but there are plenty of players that have used the opportunity to make a name for themselves. The problem is that it's coming at a time when there is no coach. The, the entire um, organization is in flux, if you will. And so I feel bad to a certain extent for some of these, uh, some of these players. However, they got called in and, uh, you know, Slonina is, it's cool. Gaga Slonina, uh, we know has made the move to Chelsea from, uh, uh, from Chicago and is, I think the, the future, at least for now. So that'll be interesting to see how much time or how many games he ultimately gets. Sean Johnson is in camp too. So, you know, that's, that to me is a little bit anybody old <laughs> quote unquote old right i think it's a little bit of a head scratcher i don't quite understand why why you're doing that right now I, and and i'm sure they have their reasons but i i'm not going to learn anything about sean johnson so i imagine you think there's some continuity from the world cup but sean johnson uh walker zimmerman Callan acosta jesus ferreira no, aaron yeah. long uh, Jesus Fitted is young, so maybe you separate him out. But the other guys, Acosta, Long, Zimmerman, Johnson, you, you don't see why they would be on this roster. I mean, I, if, I guess, what, again, what are you going to learn that you don't already know about these players? And, by the way, when I say you, a coach and a coaching staff that potentially could not even be there in a few weeks. <laughs> so it's just a little, it's a little strange. Um, you know, plenty of um, Olympic eligible players, uh, including uh, Tolkien, John Tolkien, Jonathan Gomez, uh, Paxton Aronson, Aiden Morris, uh, Kate Cowell, uh, Matthew Hoppe. Um, so 
that's going to be interesting because if you're planning for 2026, you cannot overlook that Olympic team. And we've talked about, who knows, the new coach of the U.S. men's national team may also want to take the Olympic team uh, under their uh, under their wing going forward. Uh, I am excited. Uh, Eric Williamson is back, and I know a lot of people had talked about him as a potential before the 2022 World Cup. And then, of course, you know, Brandon Vasquez. Uh, this was a guy that for a lot of people, there was a head scratcher as to why he wasn't brought in because he filled a position and in a way that nobody else did. And the continual search, well, it continues. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad that Brandon Vasquez is in there. We'll see what he uh, he ultimately looks like. Anything st- stand out to you here? Yeah, the dual nationals, which Vasquez is on that list. He refuses to close the door on Mexico, but seems to be gravitating towards the U.S. Zendejas is very interesting. Big star now at Club America. Mexico put a lot of pressure on him late last year to commit to Mexico, but he held firm. It sounds like he wants to play for the U.S. instead. Alan Sonora is interesting. A New Jersey native who's been playing in Argentina the last few years, Independiente. Uh, Gressel. Gressel's uh, a fun, uh, an interesting study, or story, uh, a study and story, right? So here, here's a guy that decided, and we've talked about that back door that the European players at times are looking at when it comes to uh, the college game. So he decided to do that, made a name for himself, got drafted into MLS, became one of the premier uh, wing players, if you will, uh, you know, and outside backs, if you will, especially when it comes to crossing the ball. And, and, you know, he's much more of a hybrid. And now he's gotten his passport. So he is able to play for the U.S. So I think it's it's a wonderful moment for him. He's 29 years old, I think, at this point. So, you know, he's going to be 33 uh, ultimately by the time the World Cup rolls around. So I, I don't quite know if maybe this is just a tip of the cap and say, literally a tip of the of, a, of an international cap for him to say, thank you for doing it. And, you know, we'll take a look at you here. But in terms of crossing the ball, and if you got someone like, uh, you know, uh, up there like Brandon Vasquez, not too bad to have. But it, but it's it's a nice story, but it's, it is a little strange. A few more names to highlight. Jonathan Gomez, left back for Real Sociedad, who's played for both Mexico and the U.S. at senior level. Uh, Paxton Pomacall is a player who I'm always interested in. I love his talent. And then Paxson Aronson and Kate Cowell, two of the best young up-and-coming players in the U.S. pool. So I actually think a lot of interesting names. I'm looking forward to watching this team play. Columbia, by the way, named their roster. None of the big stars, but an MLS flavor. You've got uh, Christian Arango, Dylan Borero, Santiago Moreno. It was a pretty interesting squad. So these games could be fun. Yeah, wait, and there's like six MLS guys, too, uh, for, uh, for Columbia. Okay, so... What's what's interesting, I guess, if I'm really looking at this, is that next generation of players possibly pushing an already young generation that we have. And then we've talked about this before. So when you're talking about the Pomacols and the Aronsons and the Morrises and these types of players, that's that's interesting to me because come 2026, we w- we might be talking about them as opposed to for 2030, 2026. Uh, they might challenge and not only challenge, but take over some of these players that we kind of are putting in there in pen. That's a good thing, having this type of competition. Maybe this is it. Maybe we look back a few years from now at January of uh, 2000 or t- uh, 2023 and say, that's where it all started. You know, both these games are in Los Angeles. Sean Sullivan putting a run out. Do we want to go? Is he planning a field trip? State of the Union? I don't know. Here? The I three don't of know. us. We can definitely figure that out. I, I know a guy. <laughs> All right, what else we got, Mozzie? I mentioned in the last pod that Tyler Adams was voted U.S. Male Player of the Year, which we both agreed with. Uh, Eunice Musa voted Young Player of the Year, and I have no issues with that as no, well. Not, not at all. I mean, gosh, and he is he is young, and he's only going to get better, and he, he certainly doesn't play like a teenager. So that's great. Um, I think I don't think anybody has any problem with that. Speaking, uh, Demarcus Beasley actually. Uh, you know, announced it and awarded him the uh, you know the award of Young Player of the Year. So congratulations to him. Uh, more reports that Germany will head to the United States in the fall. They're going to play Mexico and the U.S. They want to come here to scout uh, cities for the World Cup. Which, by the way, we know the U.S. had a lot of trouble in the last cycle playing against top European opposition because of the Nations League, but. Maybe the fact that the World Cup is in the United States in 2026 will compel some of these teams to want to come here. 
And we know the U.S. is sounds like playing in the Copa America in 2024. So that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, they are going to want to, again, get the lay of the land and and understand you know, where they want to stay and where they want to train and where it's preferable to do this, this or that. So there might be some opportunities that come about that in a normal situation wouldn't. So that would be good. I mean, look, game against Germany. Awesome. Wonderful. Great. So I'm excited about that. Speaking of Mexico, they're searching for a new manager. They've been linked to Marcelo Bielsa, which got my attention. As you know, I am a Bielsa groupie. Uh, many, many years ago, he coached in Mexico, both Atlas and Club America. The interesting thing for me is Tata Martino is a Bielsa disciple, played for him at Newell's Old Boys. So they kind of already went that route, didn't work out so well. Uh, but here they are looking at Bielsa. He seems to be the favorite, uh, would be an interesting selection. They can have him. Um, you're, you're not, uh, well, you know, I actually want to revisit something. I, I don't know if you remember a couple of years, might've might, might, might been a couple of years ago. We talked, we were talking about Bielsa and I made you, I didn't make you, I asked you to give the listener, to give the viewer an idea of why you find him so fascinating and so romantic. Can you just give a little cliff, uh, cliff notes version to people out there as to what it is that jacks you up about Bielsa? I love the way his teams play. It's an attractive, romantic style. That and does I not love tell me anything. The influence that, that he's had. Tell, hold on, hold on. That does not tell me. I love the way they play. It's an attractive, romantic style. That tells me nothing. Well, it's what does that the, mean? The soccer equivalent of a full court press in basketball. It's a very aggressive, high line pressing style. So they press. Well, nobody <laughs> in the world does that. But you can't deny the influence he's had. I mean, Pep Guardiola cites him in every interview as the, the manager he's learned the most from. But, but like what? What has he learned? The high press? <laughs> so you think the whole Bielsa thing is nonsense? It, it, it's, it's a much bigger, longer conversation. It has, actually goes beyond Bielsa, but yeah. His most recent job was Leeds United, where he was replaced by American Jesse Marsh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just, just giving some Wikipedia notes here. Incidentally, Ricardo Gareca was also mentioned as a possibility for Mexico, but it sounds like he's going to take over Ecuador. I love that appointment. I'm a big Gareca fan. Thought he did incredible work with Peru. Does he, does so. he press high? Does he? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, well, hold on. Before we leave Bielsa, do you think that if this happens, uh, this would be a good appointment for Mexico? I don't know. Because ultimately, this is about making Mexico better. Yes. As much as I love Bielsa, I do acknowledge that he's hit or miss in terms of results. So, <laughs> so uh, this, is, it's, this isn't a sure thing when it comes no. to Bielsa. You're not hedging your bets with him. But it'll be fun. Does he bring his bucket with him? Does that does that happen or a special Mexican bucket? All right. Anything else, Bossy? A couple of MLS news items to round out this segment. This LA Galaxy supporters group story uh, keeps growing. Uh, the supporters released another statement in which they called out Jovan Karofsky, which now caught my attention because not okay. only is he a good friend, he's my ticket hookup. I was probably going to reach out to him about this <laughs> game at the Rose Bowl. Uh, so hopefully he survives until then. But uh uh, the LA Galaxy brass, including head coach Greg Vanny, I guess met with the supporters to hear their concerns. I know you've been tweeting about this. What do you make of this whole situation? Well, first off, if you didn't listen to our uh, show earlier in the week, shame on you. But if you didn't, uh, real quick synopsis, uh, the LA Galaxy supporters groups and a number of them got together, released a statement. They are not happy. They are not happy with the direction of the team, uh, or especially over the last 10 years, I think, that, uh, that they're talking about. So much so that they have uh, vowed to boycott the games. Uh, and especially, and in particular, with regards to the extension of a contract from uh, Chris Klein, uh, who they feel is, uh, you know, should not be continuing on. And now they've included uh, Jovan Karowski. So look, as I said uh, in, the, uh, in the pod earlier this week, they are, they are flexing their muscle. And I am all for that. I will fight with every fiber of my being to uh, allow and support people to do it. That is the American way. That is also the way of a customer who uh, buys a product, which in this case is the LA Galaxy Soccer. And the customers are the, uh, the supporters out there. And, and again, they are exercising that power uh, that they have. And, you know, they have limited power, but this is one of those powers to make their point heard about the product that uh, that they buy. And it may affect change. It may not. But I think ultimately what this comes down to, and I think that they should be honest about this, is that this is about winning more soccer games. I don't think that there is a chance in hell that any of this happens if the Galaxy are winning soccer games. 
Um, and so this is not about some moral stand uh, of righteous indignation uh, relative to actions of the LA Galaxy or the leadership or Chris Klein or Jovan Karaski. And look, they, they equate a winning team with a good product. And as most supporters do, and as we mentioned earlier this week, it gets very, very quiet in terms of people complaining when the team is winning, when the team is playing well, and it covers up uh, covers up a lot of things. But that they're not playing well and they're not winning, I think it lends itself to having something uh, uh, like this uh, like this happen. Um, and we'll see. They ultimately, if it changes, they have obviously have at least force a meeting. I'm not sure that sitting down with uh, AEG President Dan Beckerman uh, and Greg Vanny and others. Uh, is going to necessarily force their hand. What I've found in terms of human beings is if you tell them or demand that they do something, humans, oftentimes they will dig in even more. And so this meeting, while it might have seemed productive in terms of venting their frustrations, which are absolutely legitimate, I, I feel, I'm sure their frustrations are legitimate, it is much more about letting them vent for, uh, frustrations as opposed to... Uh, uh, to making change. And I don't know um, if this is going to satisfy them so that they will come back or this was just a performative type of action and they'll, be, they'll continue on with the what amounts to a, a boycott of games going forward. But lots of drama, lots of drama. And a reminder, you were once the LA Galaxy GM. I was. So you know how demanding that fan base can be. No, I mean, your responsibility is to give them a product that they will spend their money on. And... That's not your only responsibility in that position, but it is a major responsibility. But ultimately, your assessment as to whether you are doing your job, there's a whole lot more than goes in, that goes into it than, uh, than a winning team on the field. But if I'm buying a ticket to the, the, uh, to the game, that's all I care about. And that's, that's, completely, that's completely fair. And you need someone to vent your frustrations to. And Chris Klein, you know, the buck stops with him when it comes to the LA Galaxy in terms of what happens on and off the field. And they have been sanctioned and they ultimately were found to have cheated and they're paying their fines and Chris Klein is paying an individual um, price. And obviously the fan base wants to extract a greater price when it comes uh, to Chris Klein and uh, that would affect him personally and obviously uh, his family. And so have at it. Uh, last story, Joseph Martinez is off to enter Miami. We talked about that on our last pod. Carlos Bocanegra with an interesting quote. He said, it's not a place we would have preferred him to go, an in-conference rival, ambitious club. We could have been nasty, but Joseph means a lot to the club. Ownership stepped up. We wanted to find a good resolution for Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, another uh, leader in a club that has been under a lot of heat and a lot of pressure is Carlos Bocanegra from the, uh, from the fan base. And again, you know, whether it's Chris Klein or Carlos Bocanegra, you need faces to vent to. And this, I, I kind of, I get what Carlos is going for here. And I think he wanted to position himself and this club in a benevolent type of way. <laughs> and unfortunately, it kind of backfires here. So, so what do you want, a pat on the back? You want me to thank you uh, if you are an Atlanta season ticket holder or a fan out there. You've just made a major rival theoretically better in order to satisfy Joseph Martinez. And look, I'm not downplaying the importance of Joseph Martinez. And who knows, they might make a statue of him. And, you know, he brought the first championship to the team and he's legendary when it comes to scoring goals. And that you can at times accommodate a player, that's fine but not at the expense of your team. And by the way, your, do, your job is not to appease Joseph Martinez. Your job is to do everything in your power to make the team better. And if you are doing things that don't make the team better, but appease Joseph Martinez, then, uh, then you got a problem there. That is it. That's it. Uh, okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll take a trip around, uh, well... Actually, we're going to take a preview. Well, there's, there was a couple of games, so we can take a trip around and see what the, uh, the scores were, but there's also preview stuff coming uh, for the weekend, so don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? 
Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we're back. Uh, we got a whole weekend of action upon us, Mossy. Uh, should we take a, a trip around and do some uh, previewing here? Before that, uh, did you watch the uh, Manchester United game that just got done uh, before we came on air? I did. Big match in the Premier League today, Crystal Palace. It, it was supposed United. to bring everybody closer together. This was, you know, this was the game that uh, the Manchester United was supposed to get those three points and itch that closer to Arsenal and, and pass uh, Man City and really kind of announce their return with authority. And it didn't quite work like that. It looked like it was going to yeah. work, work that way. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, where they go late in the first half, United up 1-0 the entire second half. Uh, the finish line in sight. It would have moved them into second place, six points behind Arsenal. Would have been their 10th straight win in all competitions. But then Olisa connects on a sensational free kick in stoppage time, so it finished 1-1 at Selhurst Park. And to compound matters, Casemiro picked up a yellow card, his fifth of the season. So he is suspended for their trip to the Emirates at the weekend, a game we'll talk about in a minute. On the American front, Chris Richards started, played very well, had yep. Americans buzzing on Twitter. Well, if they're buzzing on Twitter, then obviously that's, uh, that's a good thing, right? Um, he did. He did play well. And, you know, against a very good Manchester United team, uh, the times where he got strung out one-on-one, -on -one, you could see his ability to, you know, find the angles and to use his speed. I mean, first off, just starting and playing is a good thing for Chris Richards because this is a guy that we have heard about now for multiple years that just has not been able to stay healthy and to get on the field. And so that he started this game was great. That he played well is great. It bodes well for his future and the national team future if knock on wood, he can, can parlay this into more playing time and continuing on. But uh, he showed the qualities that have made people very bullish about this, uh, this player. You know, 1v1, um, the ability with the ball, uh, you know, his size, his speed. And this is good. This is a good, this is, I don't know how you spin it, uh, anything other than not only uh, good for him individually, but to be, uh, to get that big point. And that is a big point, uh, ultimately, against Manchester uh, United. Good for him. Uh, one thing I'll say to U.S. fans, I don't know how much of Manchester United you've watched this season, but a defender getting the better of Anthony in a 1v1 situation is not that noteworthy. <laughs> um, but wow. the Casemiro suspension is a that killer. Sucks. The announcer was saying, you got to get him out, and, and, and Eric Ten Hag left him in there. And for me, it was shades of the 2018 World Cup when Casemiro got himself suspended for that quarterfinal against Belgium and Fernandinho. I thought Ten Hag was a master, uh, you know, uh, coach and ability and the, the manager and he understands he understands dynamics and what he did with Rashford and all that kind of stuff and he couldn't see this Come yeah on. and we miss out on Sunday on the Casemiro versus Thomas Partey duel that's been a big topic on Twitter the last couple of days I saw your pal Piers Morgan arguing with Rio Ferdinand about it who's the better player you can throw Rodri in there as well suddenly defensive midfield has become like the sexy position in the Premier League where we're comparing different players Who? which one would you rather have well when you look at the resume well, I didn't ask about the resume. I, I will say Partey is playing very well. Almost scored goal of the season against Tottenham. That shot that he smacked off the post. Which one would you take, Mossy? I would take Casemiro, but it's close. Partey is, close? is an excellent, excellent player. Really? Yeah. Okay. And Rodri is phenomenal as well. So, spinning it forward, okay. on Sunday, Arsenal will host Manchester United. Arsenal with only one defeat in the Premier League this season. It came at Old Trafford back in September, 3-1, to one, a game where... Anthony scored on his debut, Saka equalized, and then Rashford found the back of the net twice. Arsenal did have a Gabriel Martinelli goal ruled out by VAR early in the match, and the Premier League has since come out and said that goal shouldn't have been ruled out, so they feel like they got cheated that day. Uh, they're looking for a little revenge here, and the gap is eight, so if they win, it would be 11-point difference on Manchester United, so very tasty matchup coming up. Manchester United is going to go to Arsenal and win. Even without Casemiro, <laughs> they're still going to be they're still going to be okay. So maybe, maybe my, that's my heart talking more than my head, uh, just because I want to see I want to see a race, and you know the further it gets, the more it looks like Arsenal is going to win. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna do with that yeah. 
Manchester City also eight points back of Arsenal. They play, we're taping this on a Wednesday, releasing it on Thursday. They play a Thursday match at home to Tottenham. Mm. That's been a bogey team for them. Tottenham victorious in four of the last five Premier League meetings, including both last season. And if City ever dropped points here and then Arsenal beat United at the weekend? Yeah, but according to Pep, it doesn't matter. You know, the league doesn't matter. And we've won lots of games. Isn't that what, wasn't that his quote uh, last week? Look, this matters. And this is a huge, huge opportunity uh, for Man City. So first off, obviously the three points. But I think that they have to prove to themselves and to others that it does matter. And that they are still a formidable force. Um, yeah. And against a Spurs team that we know can be very Spursy, <laughs> uh, they're ripe. On the topic of uh, Tottenham, they did identify that fan oh, that kicked Ramsdale. What a and surprise. It looked like a kid, but we've come to find out he's 35 years old. Well, you know, he, he hydrates, and, <laughs> you know. So, you know, he's babyface killer, babyface kicker. There we go. They actually say his name in the article. I think it's Joseph Watts or something right. like that. Well, so 35-year-old Joseph Watts. All right. Well, Mr. Watts, uh, you will have your day in court and you can explain yourself. And, uh, you know, hope, let this be a lesson to you and all others that even have the notion that, uh, that you could take a step onto the field, let alone try to kick a player out there. We will find you. We will hunt you down to the ends of the earth. It sounds like they didn't have to go very far to, uh, to find him. And again cameras everywhere so another big game in the premier league this weekend liverpool will host chelsea at anfield this is ninth against 10th which is not what you would expect both teams struggling so the loser here is really going to be in crisis do we get to see the new guy uh, the new chelsea guy uh, what was his name mudrik mudrik the hundred uh, hundred million guy i've been watching some some clips on him you know he's got some he's got some speed you know so hopefully hopefully we can see the money on the actually on the field and talk about you know a team in free fall and maybe a team ripe liverpool Oof. i haven't talked to our friend zach kenworthy about uh, the situation at liverpool uh, or you know keith costigan for that matter so they've been very very quiet consp- conspicuously quiet i'm on a text chain with keith so i've got oh really thoughts. he is what's what, does, not he, happy, does he clop not out no, no no not that crazy like that right he's no. clopped till i die okay no. yeah all right one last note in England, uh, Leeds United move on in the FA Cup. They hammered Cardiff today in a third-round replay. So That's good, right? They advance to the next round, okay. Jesse Marsh. All right. Um, we move on to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, which is now the soccer capital of the world, it appears. Right. Um, again, we're taping this on a Wednesday, releasing Thursday. By the time you hear this pod, this match might have already happened, but Lionel Messi and PSG are heading to Riyadh to play in an exhibition game against this select team comprised of players from Saudi Arabia's two biggest clubs, Al Nasser and Al Hilal, Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously on that team. So we're going to get a Messi versus Ronaldo in an interesting setting. Oh my God. And could they be any more these two that have for so many years been head to head and back and forth and up and down I mean, could the juxtaposition between these two be any more stark relative to what has happened or, or and where they are right now? And, you know, that uh, that meme of um, who's the WWE guy that just uh, stepped down or just stepped back in McMahon, right? Or whatever. There's one where he comes bouncing. Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon comes, comes bouncing on. I feel like that's how Messi just going to walk on the field. Not that he would ever do it because it's it's his world and ronaldo is just living in it uh, at this point it'll be fun to see i'm sure they'll hug and kiss and act nice and everything but the divergent paths of these two has been <laughs> pretty incredible uh, right now so i'll see it and uh, the uh, saudi world cup hero uh, salam aldasari right is playing so there's all sorts of stars scored against messi and yes, argentina he did. so yes, he they did. cross paths again Oh my goodness! So uh, head to head, uh, you got some uh, stats here, just so we have. I've not so people... vetted these. This is uh, Sean right. Sullivan. If we say yeah. it into the microphone, uh, they have to be true, Masi. Uh, he claims that this is producer <laughs> Sean Sullivan that Messi has 16 wins, Ronaldo 11 wins in their all-time head-to-head meetings. Messi 22 goals, 11 assists. Ronaldo 21 goals, one assist. Only one assist in all those games. That seems hard to believe. You think? Uh, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how. I, I'm actually interested to see how seriously they each take this game. You know, it can be 
ratchet it up here and there. So, all right, well, everything, as you said, flows through Saudi Arabia, including a lot of money. Incidentally, the Saudi select team will be coached by Marcelo Gallardo, uh, Argentinian boss. All right. Staying in Saudi Arabia. We're still in Saudi? Yes, because that's where the Italian Super Cup took place. We just had the Spanish Super Cup there, uh, Barcelona victorious in the final over Real Madrid. Uh, Today, the Italian Super Cup took place there as well. We should do uh, the Lamar Hunt Open Cup final in uh, in Riyadh this year. Okay. Uh, Inter uh, Milan, 3-0 winners over AC Milan, Di Marco, Dzeko, and Lautaro Martinez with the goals. So big victory for them. Uh, AC Milan will have to turn around and have a big Serie A game at the weekend. They are away to Lazio at the Olimpico. Uh, Juventus this upcoming weekend, home to Atalanta. Remember, everybody chasing Napoli who face Memo Cho and Salernitana. They're not going to catch them. But him. they're not going to catch them. You've no. already proclaimed uh, Napoli done. the winners. Done, 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 done. Um, all right, what else? Other scores? The Bundesliga fires up play on Friday. How, how long has the Bundesliga been off? Man, I, I mean, obviously I re- they had the World Cup uh, thing, and so it makes it that much longer, but this is ridiculous. I respect this. They have their winter break. They weren't going to mess with that. and so <laughs> It's a matter of principle. Yes. You, right? Um and we come back with a great game on Friday. Leipzig hosting Bayern. A reminder, Bayern in first place, four points clear of Freiburg and six points clear of Leipzig. Speaking of uh, Bundesliga, uh, and it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Did you see Voot Weghorst uh, play today uh, for Manchester United, start up top for Manchester United? Remember, you know, we followed Voot for over, the, over many, many years following the Bundesliga. I mean, come on. Voot Weghorst, seriously? He's not... He's not anything like, I know he's a big guy, but he's not anything like uh, Erlen Holland in terms of the speed or the ability or Zlatan or anybody anybody else out there. Come on, that's what we are. Anyway, I, I digress, but uh, the Bundesliga's back, baby. Drop that double in Argentina. Huh? Oh, yeah. And wonderful set play. <laughs> Uh, finally, Spain. I talked about how Real Madrid just lost the Spanish Super Cup final to Barcelona in Saudi Arabia. They have two difficult games coming up. On Thursday, they're away to Villarreal in the Copa del Rey. They just lost at Villarreal in league play. Uh, and then at the weekend, they're away to Athletic Bilbao in San Mamés. So this could turn into a little bit of a mini crisis here, depending on how these two games go. Barcelona much easier in the Copa del Rey. They face a third-tier club. I think it's pronounced Ceuta. My apologies if that's wrong. And then over the weekend, they're home to Getafe. So when the dust settles here, Barcelona just won a trophy, the Spanish Super Cup, at the expense of Real Madrid. There's a chance Barcelona could still be in the Copa del Rey, Real Madrid could be out of it, and Barcelona could widen their lead in La Liga. So keep an eye here on Spain the next few days. And remind me again, though, uh, Real Madrid's still in Champions League and Barcelona is not, right? Correct. I just want to make sure. Okay. <laughs> that is it. All right. Uh, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll, uh, I think we have some questions here. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we'll do some Ask Alexi when we get back. Hang on a sec. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS162 or MS170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. And it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the uh, social media platforms. And uh, use our uh, handle there, SOTU with Alexi, on all the different social media platforms. And if you want to call in, you can certainly call into our State of the Union podcast hotline at 657 549 2297. 657 549 2297. Nine seven. What do we have first, Masi? Uh, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen. Okay. What's up, guys? This is uh, Taylor Elliott from Niceville, Florida. I was wondering what you guys thought, um, Sergino Jess, where he should either transfer to or what level you think he's at. He's having a pretty uh, rough time in this area. Uh, thank you, guys. Have a good one. Okay. Uh, Sergino Dest, he's an evergreen type of topic, undeniable talent, hasn't quite found a place where he is utilizing that talent in a consistent play. And, you know, we, we look at this player, let's be honest, we look at him relative to the U.S. men's national team. He is the uh, undeniable right back and maybe even the left back, starting right and left, uh, left back. He had a, you know, a good World Cup. He wasn't 
you know, out of this world, but he had a good World Cup, and I don't think anything going forward is necessarily going to change that. Having said it, you know, we, we always look at things in terms of, you know, the context of the national team, but when his, when his club situation here, we know when it wasn't working out with Barcelona, he was in and out of the lineup, and at times he said, I don't want to go and didn't want to do, uh, you know, didn't want to, uh, to move, and now it was supposed to be a new lease on life when it comes to, Ace, uh, to AC Milan. He hasn't made that position his, and you know, not he was coming in with the understanding that he needed, you know, he was going to be, I guess, the backup and try to win that spot. Well, he has not won that spot, but he has played. We just mentioned that, uh, you know, he had gotten in uh, in the last uh, in the last game. He played about ten minutes in the uh, loss to uh, to Inter Milan. I don't know, Mossy. I mean, I think that there is a market out there for him. The problem, I think, for him is, you know, he's gone from from Barcelona now to AC Milan, which AC Milan's not where it once was. So that's a step down, not a huge step down, but it's still a step down. So next, where do you go that isn't perceived at yet another step down? Well, the problem is I do think he needs to take another step down. He needs to go somewhere. The next move needs to be somewhere where he's going to play regularly. And if that means... But is that like Belgium or like, you know, or or just a mid-level EPL team? Yeah, or like, mid-table team in one of the top leagues. I think I still think he would go for him and he could potentially start for them. And I think there would be interest. And so you would be in favor of that happening. Like I'm in, I'm in favor of him going anywhere. Well, not anywhere, but I'm in favor of a move if it means he's he's playing. I just I worry about just continuing to go down, 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 down. And what if he goes to that level and is still not playing? Incidentally, the Lazio-AC Milan game I referenced in the previous segment, I made it sound like it was this upcoming weekend. That game is actually Tuesday of next week. I guess because AC Milan had to fly to Saudi Arabia, they maybe gave them a few extra days off. Well, the Saudis uh, so, are screwing everything up, yeah, so you know? Quick correction on Man, that. Okay. So that'll be our next chance to see Sergio Des come on for the last 10 minutes of a game. <laughs> AC Milan are down 3-0 and... Um, oh my goodness. Next up is a Twitter question. Clay Wallen asks, Alexi, are you saying ProRel is a bad idea for MLS or that it would be good, but for difficulties with actual implementation? So this is, again, it's an evergreen question. Um, I have answered it, I don't know how many times over my, my lifetime or my career. And it's okay because this is going to continue to come up. I don't necessarily think anything is going to change and certainly not anytime soon when it comes to, to ProRel. To answer your, your question, Clay, am I saying ProRel is a bad idea for MLS? Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad idea if MLS wants it. And this gets to the crux of, of the argument and the debate, and it always has been. As I've said, and I'll repeat it myself, I have no problem with promotion relegation. I have actually lived promotion relegation. Um, I have found many times it to be incredibly entertaining and exciting and drama-inducing. However, I don't need it to enjoy my soccer, and I don't think that it should be mandated on anyone, whether that's MLS or whether that's USL or whether it's any other uh, league, league out there. MLS has decided that this is the structure that they want. Now, I could potentially, because of the size of MLS right now, envision a future that includes a, for lack of a better phrase, an intra-MLS type of pro-rel situation with an MLS 1 and an MLS 2. Keep in mind that for the zealots out there, the pro-rel zealots out there, that is a bastardized version of pro-rel and not something that they could possibly tolerate. And so they immediately discount it. But if the whole point of, of ProRel is to, um, is to motivate and to create competition within leagues to go up and the fear of going down, in that sense, you could do that. But that also doesn't solve the problem and the, the real problem of convincing MLS owners who have already taken on risk in terms of professional ownership to voluntarily take on more risk. 
And, you know, any owner of any business is going to try to mitigate risk. And by coming into MLS with its structure, that's what they uh, that's what they have done. So, you know, ultimately, it's not about being a bad idea. It's about me forcing a system on a business that has decided that their structure is what is best for them. And I know there's people out there listening that would say, yes, but that structure is inhibiting and that structure is hurting, in their view, others or potential others uh, others that are out there. There's nothing stopping anybody from implementing pro-rel. USL could do it. MLS could do it. Anybody else uh, could do it out there. And if that's what you want, and if that's what you think is that magic bullet, have at it. Do it. And by the way, I have said for years and years and years, I, I support and will support you if you do want to do that and you do want to build a better mousetrap. And may the best product out there win. And if you think that this is really going to ignite whatever group of teams you have or leagues you put together, and this is what's going to uh, sell your product, then again, I will support you, but I don't want it mandated on me or anybody else. And I don't believe that anybody should have the right to say, this is how you should run your house. And not only that, I should get a room in your house for nothing. I will say I'm no zealot. And even I would find that MLS 1, MLS 2 thing kind of weird. I think either do promotion relegation or don't, but but why? To split up MLS into two tiers? But is that not? I mean, listen, there are teams outside of the pyramid that exist in England, for example. Okay. So ultimately, it's, it's the number of teams that you have, right? Right. So, so what's the difference? If you have 30 teams in MLS 1 and MLS 2 and two leagues, basically, of 15, and at the end of each year, three teams go down to MLS 2 and three teams go up to MLS 1. Even though it's all part of the MLS pyramid, it's still a pyramid that's featuring ProRel. Why do you think it's weird? I do think it's a bastardized version of but promotion. But why? why is because it, a- it would all still feel like MLS. The whole, the whole argument of promotion relegation folks is they want the whole country to feel connected and all these other leagues, too, to be a part of this pyramid. And you, you still okay. wouldn't have that. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. All right. Anything else? That's it. All right. Let's take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll finish up the pod with uh, one food row. Okay, welcome back, and uh, we've come to the end of yet another pod. We appreciate everybody hanging out with us here, uh, and at the end of each and every pod, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, did you see this story uh, that has come out, uh, and the news that has come out, that referees at the Club World Cup, uh, which we know is happening, what, uh, the beginning of February, which will include uh, our uh, Seattle Sounders from Major League Soccer representing uh, CONCACAF, uh, referees will announce publicly in the stadium reasons for VAR decisions to the stadium and to the audience and to the TV audience through their microphones as part of a trial authorized by IFAB, which is uh, the organization uh, that governs uh, refereeing and the, and the laws of the game. Uh, and the potential exists for it also to be used in the Women's World Cup. Now, this is, I think... It, an important thing to uh, to talk about because you know you'll remember years ago if you if if you do that MLS was chastised for uh, uh, for even bringing this up uh, or attempting to push the envelope and now they are evidently going to uh, do this and do this at the Club World Cup. I love it. It is about time uh, that this this happened. Anything that is going to give more clarity in terms of these decisions that are made, I think is good for the sport. We now have the technology and the ability for people in the stadium and at home to understand some of these decisions. Now, some of them are clear-cut and black and white, but there's still some confusion as to what the actual call was and why it was made. Some of them are subjective. But ultimately, when you hear a human explain them and in essence, well, they're not arguing their, their case because there's no other side. They are just making the final judgment. You may agree or disagree, but I think it will have it, things will be much more clear in that debate that we, uh, that we have. Uh, I hope that from a, te- uh, from a technology standpoint that it goes off, and I hope that it goes off well because I hope 
that this gets implemented in all leagues and in all tournaments. I don't think it is going to take away from the game. I don't think that it is going to slow the game down. And what I also think it's going to do is actually protect and help and be an asset to the referees. And I know we love to scream and yell about referees, but I also think that they need protection. And VAR has come about and actually has given them another tool. And you will talk to referees and they will say, yeah, I love VAR. It gets me out of a jam. It, even though at times it might go against what I, what I thought, it's better to get that call right because I will look even worse if we let it go and I'm the one that got, uh, that got it wrong. This is another opportunity to explain it. And we've talked about after the game where referees don't talk, uh, after the game where you submit questions. And I just think this game of telephone that at times has happened has to be cut out. And to, so hear it coming directly from the men and women that are the arbiters of our game. I think that that is wonderful. And so I am 100% on, uh, on board with this. And you'll have people that do it different ways. Now, keep in mind, this is a very American thing or a rugby thing uh, that, has been, uh, that has been done. There is a way to translate, not translate the language, but translate the information. And so the, the words that you use, your demeanor, I think is going to you know, be under examination going forward. And it will still be a work in progress as to you know, how you make your case, how you get that information out. But this is great. Mossy, thoughts before we go on this? I agree with you. I love the transparency. Uh, it frustrates me that fans oftentimes have no clue what a decision was or at the game. So to me, this is very good. It doesn't also preclude you from being angry or disagreeing ultimately with it. But to your point, at least some of that confusion is taken away. And I think that that's good ultimately for the game. So well done, FIFA. Well done, uh, uh, well done, IFAB. And I hope it goes well. Fingers crossed that it goes well so it can be implemented as quickly as possible. And we have proof, proof of concept uh, in, the, uh, in the Club World Cup, which, by the way, as we said, starts you know, just around the corner here. So this, uh, this will be interesting. I'm sure they're probably, I guess it would be called rehearsing it right now. So uh, anything uh, exciting you got planned here for the uh, next couple of days before we talk again next week? You got anything uh, planned no, this weekend? Nothing especially exciting. Me neither. I, I was going to say, uh, do you think Vlad Kondinovsky should be fired? Or are you going to drop another bomb at the end of a <laughs> podcast like you did at the end of our last one? No. Uh, you know, I, well, first off, a couple of people said, well, I listened all the way to the end of the podcast. I said, well, why the hell weren't you listening to the end all the way anyway? I mean, so I don't know. Maybe I, sh I, I will just as a follow-up. Um, there were a lot of people that disagreed with me, and that's nothing new. Uh, on a daily basis, I have plenty of people that disagree uh, with the things that I said. I would just implore people to listen to exactly the things that I say. So when I say a part of me feels a certain way, okay, that's, that's important. When you know, I talked about how I feel about Greg Berhalter, what you know, I was trying to say, and I thought I said it clearly, but still, you know, don't never underestimate the ability for people to be confused. If the leaders of USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, believe that Greg Berhalter is the best person for the job, they, that should not change relative to what has happened. And that's what was irritating and continues to be irritating and angering to me, that that is now becoming part of the assessment of Greg Berhalter. And that's what I find wrong. That's what I find uh, unfair. Again, I'm not making the decision. All along, I have said, I don't think that there should be multiple cycles, whether you win a World Cup or lose every single game. They should make a change. But again... I just I, I I still think that that it is that it is wrong and that it is un uh, that it is unfair uh, to Greg Berhalter and I am willing to change the way that I feel in order to stop a good man from getting screwed. Uh, last thing and then we'll get out of here. Yeah. Uh, there was one coach's future who was resolved this week. Who's that? Jim Harbaugh remaining at Michigan. He's, he's staying, right? Yep. Oh, boy. the allure a, of the NFL is that a good thing? Yet again, not strong enough to. Is that a pull good thing for, uh, from that a Michigan Wolverines perspective? Thing. All yes. right, so you guys, you guys are happy that this you is got to work on that 
goal line offense for the playoffs next year. But uh, overall, but this is a good thing. Yes. What do you, What do you think? Well, what do you think kept him there? You know, I mean, was it because he's going to get paid a ridiculous amount of money if he goes to the NFL and he's and he's going to be a new challenge and stuff like that. He's just he just feels comfortable or there's not the right situation. Yeah, not the right situation. Situ- Where was he rumored to go? Denver Broncos. Ooh. He wasn't the main candidate, to be oh, honest. Okay. There were other ones. So he probably didn't want to wait out the process. He wanted to stay in Michigan. Uh, so so your coach and his khakis are staying. Yes. All right. Wonderful. There's a crazy situation involving the offensive coordinator, but it's too complicated to explain. Yeah, so it. I'll save that save for another. <laughs> Listen, uh, thank you for hanging out with us uh, each and every week, uh, and now a couple of times a week. We really appreciate it. Keep reviewing and rating and uh, downloading and subscribing and doing all the different things that you uh, that you do. And by the way, while we knew the numbers were going to kick up during the World Cup, people have stayed with us. And so thank you so much to everybody out there for uh, for continuing to, to listen. As we know, there's a lot a, a lot of soccer uh, to come and a lot of soccer day after day after day. And we know a lot of people come into the tent when there's a, a World Cup and that's fine. We welcome them all. And then, you know, we, we keep some people. So if you are new to the pod, because of uh, listening during the World Cup, and I've already talked to some people that are. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, we are so happy to have you, and we hope uh, we keep you around for uh, a long time to come. We will talk to you again uh, next week. And uh, until then, and as always, for my friend David Mossy, myself, size the day. <laughs>